I don't know about you guys, but I am one of those people where every year on Daylight Savings, having that extra hour of light in the evening just like completely transforms my mood. I feel like I am not me when it gets dark at 4 p.m. And obviously the flip side of that is that first morning after springing forward can be rough. So I want to tell you about something that can make it so much easier, so much more enjoyable. It's called Hatch. And Hatch can help you choose sleep, prioritize healthy habits, and then also make the time change transition seamless and enjoyable. So the Hatch Restore helps you build sleep habits that make your unwind and wake routines simple and enjoyable. So a phone-free bedtime, no matter what time of year it is, which again, is really a habit I'm trying to change this year, and this has very much helped it. And then with the Hatch Plus subscription, you can access the latest routine-building features like Cue to Unwind, which signals you that it's time for bed, and Pillow Talk, which is kind of like your favorite shows or socials without the screen to keep you up. For me, that's like such a wonderful feature because it helps me unwind, but not in a way that feels unnatural. It's kind of like the benefit I get from scrolling my phone without scrolling my phone. And then waking up in the morning is just so much more peaceful. Like I don't think it's good to wake up to that jarring alarm sound. So to have kind of an easy wake up, I've just really enjoyed my morning so much more. Right now, Hatch is offering our listeners $20 off your purchase of the Hatch Restore and free shipping at hatch.co slash CBC. Visit hatch.co slash CBC to get $20 off and free shipping. Hatch.co slash CBC. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to our second ever Commas by Bravo episode. You guys, it is 10.23 p.m. Thursday night. We are just coming off of that New York reunion. Isabel, oh my God. I am on a high that I cannot wait to get into this right now. Like we get to do this right after. Literally, I ran into the other room when it was over. So all my thoughts are fresh and I cannot wait. Thank you everybody who gave us feedback about last episode, who gave us the space to even have this podcast because, oh my God, there's so much to talk about. I am like, I'm, I, I am so energized. Me too. I think if we didn't have the space, I would just explode. I'd be tweeting. I'd be texting. I wouldn't know what to do. I know. Okay. So a couple of quick housekeeping things before we get into it. And I know we want to talk about the Salt Lake City trailer. So first of all, We are going to do the same thing we did last time because the feedback was solid around there where we're going to go from most recently air to farthest away. So the order is going to be New York, then Beverly Hills, then Potomac. Second of all, I know a lot of you guys asked about us adding in timestamps because you're not totally caught up on all the franchises. We're totally going to do that. Great suggestion. Just want to remind you that when the ads get added in, sometimes the timestamps are off. So that may change, but it'll at least give you a rough estimate. (sighs) Okay. How do you feel? I feel good. I feel good too. I also just want to say that when this episode comes out, it's going to be September 11th. This will be the 19th anniversary. And as always, you know, we are just remembering those who lost their lives and just thinking so deeply about anybody who lost anyone. And truly never, ever, we can never forget. They say that for a reason. And I just want to make sure we took a second to acknowledge that. Exactly. Okay. Shall we? Oh my God. Quickly before New York, Salt Lake City. Yes. Ever since we were at BravoCon and Andy announced that this was the new franchise that was coming out, there had been murmurs, new franchise, new franchise, but that this would be the city. I have been trying to picture what it will look like, what it will feel like, because starting fresh from a new city is not a feeling I've had in a long time. I mean, I guess I think the most recent was Potomac and... To see finally in the trailer, to put a face to these names, to understand what the vibe will be like, 
it was really exciting and I'm excited to have a new franchise to start fresh with. I feel so lucky that we have such extensive background knowledge of so many of these women, but to start out fresh is really fun. And I have to tell you, I was surprised that you didn't have more of a knowledge because you're so like intertwined within the um, Utah mommy blogger community. So it's kind of fun that you didn't even know these women at all. I I don't know any of them. I'm excited. I've done a little bit of research. I think everyone's pulling them up on Instagram and figuring out what their deal is, but you just never know until the show airs. And so I can't wait to just dive in. I know. I cannot wait. Okay. Shall we start with New York? Please. I cannot wait one more minute. I know normally we go a little bit chronological in these things, but please, for the love of God, can we start with this Dorinda Tinsley thing? Because I need to talk about it. I mean, you read my mind. Okay. I know I know it's not a recap, but just for the sake of really breaking down what she said, I just want to go through kind of the sequence of events. We have been talking for this entire season, basically, about the one question, why does Dorinda hate Tinsley so much? No matter what Tinsley does, she's always in the wrong with Dorinda. Dorinda has some deep hatred for Tinsley and is so mean to her. And we just never had a reason why. It always just seemed like it was from nothing. Mm-hmm. And finally tonight, I feel like we got some answer. I don't want to say it's the full thing because I still think her behavior is inexcusable. But this was a whole new piece of information that I think we'd been craving as an audience to kind of justify this. Tinsley was giving us background information that we didn't have. And by the way, having Tinsley there was a breath of fresh air. I never, I never thought that I would be so excited to see Tinsley on my screen. I was so happy to have her there because we haven't seen her in so long. And it just felt like, oh, you're back. It was, it was good to see her. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So Andy basically asked her into like, point blank, what is your issue with Tinsley? And saying you had this whole life that you love to talk about and remember with Richard as being a wife and making a home and living in Kensington. So why is it any different when Tinsley just wants to be a mom and be a wife and move to Chicago? Like, what is the issue with that? Like, why is that such a point of contention for you? And Dorinda starts going on like, I believe half of what I hear in life and that all that I see, there's a lot of stuff that went on. And then Tinsley finally adds the puzzle piece that we've been looking for. She says, what happened was after we were broken up, when we were in Miami, this was season 11, when they went on the trip, you and I got into this horrific fight that was not on camera because I had told you that Scott had generously given John some money that you did not know about. And Dorinda's like, I don't know about that. I know he did a commercial with Scott, but like, that's all I know. I don't know why we're talking about John. And Tinsley's like, the betrayal you felt from John manifested itself into anger towards me. You took it out on me. Dorinda's like, shaking her head. That's not true. That's not true. Cutting Tinsley off. Then Tinsley says, the producers wanted me to not stay in the house that night because you were going so crazy. They were actually worried about my safety. You turned on me in that moment that you found out John had the money, and that is what happened. Dorinda's like, I never got involved with John's finances. I didn't even know about that. Then they fucking cut to unseen footage from Miami. Dorinda's standing in the hallway. Sonia's like around the corner listening in, and it's Dorinda screaming on the phone with her hand going, like you know she does when she's really upset. 
at John. You don't run game behind my back ever. I don't want you to talk to Scott. He is not your friend. So when I say to you, don't do something, you better well listen. So this is like the beauty of housewives is that Dorinda can sit there and be like, what are you talking about? I don't get involved. And they have the motherfucking footage. Not only that, they're sitting around women who were all in the house. Sonia literally was standing there. You could see in the video watching it happen. Luann's like, oh, I remember that phone call. And Tinsley, Tinsley really stood up for her, herself. She's like, I've done nothing for you to hate me the way you do. Your jealousy, your hatred, your obsession with my relationship. She's just so obsessed with this. I mean, I was, my jaw was on the fucking floor. My jaw was on the floor. I always knew that Dorinda's hatred for Tinsley had something to do with Scott, but I was thrown off when John was then inserted into it. And then a couple of other things. First off, Tinsley comes on the scene like Nancy fucking Drew. Like she (laughs) Make, she was truly like an investigator. She had all of her points in a row. She was ready to say it. And I felt so vindicated on her behalf. But also what I think was so kind of, um, I would imagine embarrassing if you're Dorinda watching this back is in the moment on the reunion, she's acting like she has no idea what Tinsley's talking about. I don't think she knew they were going to cut to that never before seen footage, which also, why was that never before seen? That was my question. I feel like for all this time, that we've been wondering and wanting, craving context. Why was this left? And why had Tinsley all of these times that Dorinda was freaking out at her and wondering, why does she hate me so much? And why does she care so much about my relationship with Scott? Wouldn't she pull that out and say, the reason you hate me is because Scott lent John this money and you didn't like that he was going behind your back. It was just so interesting. I feel like this happens we were just talking about it. I forget in what context that they don't like, why wouldn't you use that? I honestly think I, I don't, I could be off. There's a part of me that maybe they didn't realize it was as big of a deal, but the bigger part of me thinks that think about how much more kind of like addicting this season was when you really didn't understand Dorinda's motive and we were all trying to figure it out. And then to have this little Easter egg that was going to be thrown at us at the end. Not that I, obviously I wish we had it sooner, but there is a part of me that it's like, I kind of liked being on this crazy hunt. Me too. And I feel what I was reading on Twitter was, I feel like a lot of people thought that this, they felt, they felt like this answered their question. They felt like this put a bow on it and they're like, okay, we got it. This is why Dorinda hates Tinsley. And while I do feel like that, I felt like it was more of a puzzle piece because to me, this still is not even close enough to be enough of an explanation of how hard Dorinda has gone and how mean and vicious she's been about every decision Tinsley makes and why and her back and forth relationship with Scott and just the terrible things she said in front of all of these women about Tinsley and in her confessionals. Like, I'm sorry, this just wasn't enough for me. Like this wasn't the, this wasn't like the big aha moment that I was necessarily hoping for. It was more just a huge missing piece. I still feel like there could be more. That's the issue with for Dorinda is that it doesn't make her case any stronger because if this is one of the things, let's just say it was, it doesn't even have anything to directly do with Tinsley. It wasn't Tinsley's fault. And she's right. You have misdirected anger towards John that is now somehow being misdirected to Tinsley. But The other thing is that let's just put it out there, right? Like, yes, we, I'm sure you guys have heard stuff too. We have heard a lot of whispers that a lot of Dorinda's anger toward Tinsley comes from the fact that 
you know, Tinsley and Scott's relationship, quote, isn't as much roses as people think it is. And Dorinda feels like she's had to be so vulnerable. She's had to go about and talk about her shit. And Tinsley gets to like have this graceful exit. And I do think that there's a piece at play there that's more so like her anger towards Tinsley and Scott's relationship. But again, to me, that's not justifiable. I agree. I think, I just, I don't know. I, I, I felt a little validation of understanding what was happening behind the scenes. But to me, it was like, okay, if this could be out there, there could be so much more that wasn't on camera back and forth with, or things that John has said, who knows? But I mean, this was a really big deal and it was kind of something no one really saw coming. They didn't tease it at all. And I hadn't heard really any discussion about it. So when that came on, I was like, just shocked. No, I was shocked. I I also think there's the general sentiment of like, I I know that a lot of people, their initial first line of defense is like, oh, it's just jealousy. And a lot of the times it isn't. But I do think there's a level of Dorinda that has, even if it's subconscious jealousy towards Tinsley, because she sees a lot of this life that she used to have. And yes, it would be wonderful if she could you know, put that into being happy for Tinsley. But I think that her obsession with her and the jealousy combined, and then maybe some underlying stuff just mixes together for this really angry cocktail. And Isabel, the other thing is that that one little snippet was pretty much indicative of Dorinda's behavior throughout this entire reunion. Like, I know we're not really going chronologically, but shall we just discuss Dorinda's ridiculous outbursts throughout this entire hour? Yeah, it was a mix of outbursts, but also complete deflection to the point where it was so brutal. Andy had to call it out. Any question that he would ask her, she would find a way to just blab on about how it, well, everyone, you know, I think has issues with their drinking. And I think everyone has to look at themselves on the show and, you know, anything about Ramona, well, Ramona, you know, your facelift or this, anything, anything she could say, she did not want to talk about herself. And it no. was really painful to watch because I think as viewers and as people who at the end of the day want the best for her, we felt we deserved, not deserved, but we wanted her to see a reflection and watch the show and be like, I don't like how I feel or how I, how I looked this season or how I treated the women around me. I thought she was capable of having that breakthrough moment. So to see her do the complete opposite was so frustrating and hard to watch. Well, I have two things to say because it, remember a couple of weeks ago when you were saying how, when we were talking about her being fired or her leaving, whatever the reason was, and you were saying how, I guess it was whatever statement it was, it was Bravo or whoever saying she just really couldn't, all, all Bravo needed her to do was to look at the situation to say, you know what, I can recognize my, my mistakes. And you were saying, well, then clearly that didn't happen on the reunion because she would have. So one, even though we've only seen part one, I can very much see how that was the case. And then we're also coming off of this week when Andy said on Sirius XM, you know, I hope she comes back. She's welcome back. I hope she returns. She had a bad season. It wasn't just the turkey baster. So he wasn't kind of writing her off. However, I think as a viewer after last night, although entertained, we're all sitting here like, that makes perfect sense why if she was fired, that was the reason. Yeah, I mean, I do think even if she had been able to have a good reunion and been reflective and understanding and kind of remorseful, I still think it probably wouldn't have been great for her to return because clearly the way you're behaving all season is not 
the show is not doing anything good for you. But I think it would have helped her end on a happier note and left people with the idea in their mind that she she still is a good person and she's still able to reflect and maybe would be more open to welcoming her back with open arms in the future if she ended in a way that was kind of sane instead of this terrible behavior that I don't think she feels proud of. I think she just gets so in the heat of the moment and is so defensive, especially about her drinking, that it gets the best of her. I agree with you completely. It really does get the best of her. And I think deep down, she's not proud. But what I wanted to say to Dorinda tonight was like, listen, Ramona does a good enough job at making herself look bad. I promise you, Ramona, none of us are on the same page as Ramona. Like, I feel like most of the audience, although we're very entertained by her, can pretty much agree with 2% of the things that Ramona does. You are making yourself look worse by constantly deflecting onto her. Like, she really does the good enough job herself. And it was so frustrating. You know, you know something's bad when you find yourself momentarily siding with Ramona. That's when you know there's like a glitch in the simulation. I agree. For Ramona to be self-aware and aware enough of the social situation around her, which we obviously know is not her greatest gift, for her to even be so on point and being like, Dorinda, just answer the question. Stop deflecting. You don't want to answer them. And even Luann chiming in and say, Dorinda does not like to be told that she doesn't, she shouldn't drink so much. They all had the insight and in the moment, that Dorinda was really lacking and that I had a lot of faith that she would be able to do. So, I mean, overall, just her, not her performance, it's not a performance, but her, her answers to the questions and her time on the reunion so far, I know we're only on part one, was really disappointing. Well, because my question kind of was, what would have happened if nobody else was there. If Ramona wasn't there, if Tinsley wasn't there, like if you were, and that's, by the way, that's exactly why I would imagine I'm just hypothesizing. She hasn't gotten the breakthrough that she really needs because when you're one-on-one with a therapist or someone who's telling you like it is, you don't have the opportunity to have people at your disposal to deflect things on. All the attention is on you. And we saw that for 30 seconds when Andy just like, you know, said to her, Dorinda, no, forget about everyone else, just you. And in that moment, she got so physically uncomfortable, which I understand it's not an easy thing to do, but that just showed me how far she is from any sort of resolution because she's still in the denial period. Yeah. And it took, it took more than one or two questions to get there. The first, I don't even know how many before Andy had to really say that to her face were not answered. And every question that they put in the reunion or that Andy asked and topics that they bring up are the most important ones. They're not usually 99% of the time. They're not just adding fluff. Like these are the, these are important questions. So to have a couple skipped over and not answered and given some bullshit about Ramona when it's about her is really annoying. It was really, really annoying because you know what? You want to know the saying that I think is the most pertinent to Dorinda specifically this season? What? It's she can she can dish it, but she can't take it. And there's something really frustrating about someone like that. You know? I mean, yeah. When you compare the list of things she said about Tinsley versus just the the pure just addressing her drinking, there's no comparison. And she reacts like people are attacking her when she is literally attacking Tinsley's relationship, marriage, moving, fertility everything. We said this last time. 
that the fact that she can't even address one bullet point, which is her drinking, is it's, it just seems unfair. I also think as a viewer, it's so upsetting. And I think you initially made this point a couple of weeks ago saying like, we all have this inside of us where we're like, Dorinda, we know that you can do better. We know this isn't you. When certain cast members do certain things, you just know that that's their bar. You know that they physically can't go higher. Whereas I feel like we feel like Dorinda has that inside of her. She's an intelligent woman, but she's just so not there with herself. And it's one thing if it was she was just hurting herself, but in the process, she's taking everyone down with her and it's not fair. And quite frankly, when Tinsley said that the producers were afraid for her that one night in Miami because they were genuinely afraid, afraid for Dorinda's safety, I kind of felt that way about the reunion. Like, thank God they were six feet apart. I know I jokingly said that last, last week, but I'm serious. Like, I feel like Tinsley felt more empowered to say more things to her, Dorinda because she wasn't at, you know, an arm's distance from her on a couch. I like that they had their own little things. They physically couldn't go near each other because... I think it was Gibson Johns who tweeted, Dorinda can't even look at Tinsley speak without getting physically uncomfortable. Like you can see it in the way her mannerisms work. And it's just so, it's so beyond bizarre to witness. I know. I mean, I kind of liked their setup. I think being six feet apart and also sitting in a circle with Andy in the circle with them, as opposed to in the middle, looking back and forth like a tennis match. I kind of liked it. I think it was a more conducive environment to have discussions And you're right. I think there was a safety element. The same way we talked about how on Beverly Hills, being in their own homes and on a Zoom felt like it gave a different air to the reunion and it gave them a different perspective to maybe say things and do things that they wouldn't have done if they were in person or on couches. So it was really interesting. I think the physicality of it does play a huge role. And Tinsley feeling like you literally cannot get up because they were taking so many COVID precautions kind of made her feel like I'm here. I'm going to say my piece. I'm far away. This like she had a podium and she was going to speak her mind. Specifically as someone who had her podium ripped from her for the entire season. I feel like she really needed that. And you know what I was thinking about? Think about how frequently in other and every reunion up until this year, we were always so interested in the couch placements and we loved it. And it became so synonymous with reunions. And now I'm thinking like my, the entire framework of the way that I view reunions has shifted because I like these individual seats, even in post COVID times when it doesn't need to be six feet apart. I like that the architecture and the like literal infrastructure of the room does not dictate the sides. I like when everybody has their own individual piece of furniture. I know it's a little thing, but I think for us, like our our eyes, it doesn't trick us into thinking there's some sides when there aren't. Like I like you have your own seat and that's how it should be. Maybe that's totally off, but that's kind of how I felt. Me too, because it also made me the whole time think, okay, wait, who's fighting and who's not? And focus more on the individual relationship instead of, these three versus these two, when sometimes two women on the same couch can have just as much issues as one couch versus the other. So it, it, it really helped make them each their, in, their own individual entity. And I liked that a lot. I also, though, have gotten so used to the Zoom that I wanted, every time they cut to Sonia, I was like, let's just keep a little camera on Sonia. Like I wanted her face on the screen the whole time because she as we know, loves to just ad lib and talk over everyone and add funny commentary and her facial expressions. Like I was missing that because on Beverly Hills, we're seeing every eye roll, no matter what. And it, I was like, you know what? I kind of could get used to the Zoom. 
You are so right. The shit I would do for a Sonia box. I love that suggestion. That was this genius. No, you're so right. How great is she, by the way? Like, (laughs) she's the best person in the world. When I found out Century 21 went into foreclosure today, my first thought was Sonia. Like, I wish I could just text her and be like, I'm so glad you had your moment. Like, let's just try and get Sonia by Sonia Morgan in somewhere, somewhere else. Like, you know what? Dream big. Let's get her in Bergdorf Goodman. Isabel, stranger things have happened. Let me tell you, we could get that toaster in Williams Sonoma. You never fucking know. Oh my God. Sonia, she's just such a cutie. Like she just deserves the world. Oh, she adds so much to the show. Who else? Name me one other housewife that's going to put hand sanitizer on their legs because they need a little glisten mid episode. No one. She just has no shame. She'll say anything and she does it in such an endearing way. I just, I fucking love her. And when she's when she fully admits that her, you know, she uses Ellen Barkin kind of as her guide in life. She thinks someone posted a very funny side by side. She really is starting to look like her, and they're both beautiful. And I was like, you know, something you're making your dream come true, and for that, I'm happy. Good for you, Sonia. Good for you. Love to see. Okay, should we get into like a little chronological, just some discussions about all the topics that they brought up? Of course, (laughs) so happy to do this. Oh my god, God. me too. So they first, the opening, I love now that they do just like the candid of the women coming in because you see like, they are not just turning on when they sit down. These are, this is really who they are. Like Dorinda being like, I hope you asked Ramona Singer those questions when they're asking her the co- the standard COVID, like, have you been out of the state? Like they, this is literally them. Like they're not just pulling out these zingers when they're sitting in the hot seat. They really feel this way about each other. And it just makes me so happy to see them like walking in and just being the same and then sitting down and continuing the narrative. <laughs> Dorinda can't even get her temperature taken without putting it on Ramona. I'm sure that guy was like, lady, I just want to know if you're 98.6, keep it moving. <laughs> <laughs> And then they kind of got into, they they opened with all about how everyone has spent their quarantine, which I thought was really interesting and so timely and also just helps you like realize we're all in the same boat. And of course, as to be expected, the lights are all on Ramona because everyone has been hunkered down in New York or at their summer homes, really waiting out the quarantine. And Ramona, as anyone who probably follows her has seen, has been gallivanting around the country. And Leah has called her out on it. So basically they're like, Ramona was in Florida with Mario. We became a family again. She was saying like, they're not getting back together. She Because I think a lot of people were like, okay, you were stuck with him for however many months in an apartment, like did something happen? And she confirmed that it didn't. And Leah on her stories was saying, I'm so disgusted by some of my castmates living up in Florida and now taking it seriously, not taking it seriously back. And we're back in New York and she's just laughing in all of our faces. It's despicable and very day class A. And Leah was just saying like, Ramon had a total lack of empathy. Despite her actions, no matter what she was doing to be safe, her non-self-awareness and her complete tone deafness of her post was... They was just so offensive to her. And she was like, how can you not understand that you pretending that this is just one big vacation and being on the beach and flaunting it on Instagram is not okay. And Ramona was really caught up in being like, I did everything right. I was healthy. I was healthy. And they're like, Dorinda's like, well, you went to that Donald Trump Jr. party and the, the girlfriend tested positive and you're not wearing a mask. You're posting Instagrams without a mask. And that's when they start the like, 
I didn't have the virus. I don't have the virus. I don't have the virus. And she's like, I don't wear masks on the beach. I don't wear masks on the beach. Like, this is the shit you don't get from other cities. I'll tell you that. That is like a classic New York moment. And then Sonia in her fucking Sonyaism is just like, you can spread it with your spit, especially if you're swapping spit with Dubin. <laughs> No, so many, Sonia's, like you said, Sonia's live commentary, there's nothing like it. Like if she ever leaves Housewives, Bravo needs to hire her because she could commentate any show and it would be just as good, just having her on the side. But tell me if you felt the same frustration that I was feeling. I felt like it was a, a kind of... <laughs> The way that Leah and the other women were trying to communicate to Ramona, she quite literally could not get there because they were trying to come at it from a sake of like humanity and empathy. And she was strictly just logistical. She was strictly like, I technically didn't break protocol, even though she probably did. And they couldn't, I would, I could imagine if I was Leah being so frustrated because you're trying to communicate, not that you even did anything technically wrong, although she did more so just like the way that you made other people feel. And that's a really hard concept for Ramona to grasp. And I'm not even saying that like, jokingly, I'm serious. Like I genuinely think Ramona has such a hard time with awareness and she's so in her own self that she doesn't see things from a bird's eye view. So all of a sudden when she's being called out of showcasing tone deafness, I don't even think she knows what that means. Right. And then in contrast with Leah, who it's not even an age or a generation thing. I just think she really is in tune with what's going on and how people are affected by certain things and how you should speak to certain people or address certain people or what to post and not to post on social media and how it comes across. So for Leah to be so, for lack of a better word, woke versus Ramona, who is completely blind to all of it, they're never going to see eye to eye on it. And Leah calling her out, Ramona's like, what do you mean? Like we're at a restaurant. I don't need to wear a mask. And Leah's like, it's not about that. It's just the overall lack of caring about other people and how you come across and being empathetic to New Yorkers who are dying and people who are losing their family and their jobs is not okay with me. And Ramona, I don't think she really got it, but it just was, it was more a reflection on Leah of how she really gets it and how they haven't really had someone in a while who gets it to the level that she does and brings that perspective to the reunions and to the show. And I thought that was just like, it made Leah look great. And it was also an amazing point. Oh, completely. Don't you agree though that Ramona genuinely isn't capable? Like I know they say everyone is, but I think she's lived her life for so many years, just gliding by with this complete lack of kind of compassion that it's not, she's not going to start now. And so if you're her friend, you just kind of have to accept that that's, she has her good qualities, but that's just not one of them. And Leah, I think is the one that's like, you know something, that shit just doesn't fly with me. And I appreciate that about her. I know. And one of my friends made a good point, which was that Ramona has been on the show since the beginning, right? Every housewife, especially in New York has used their platform in some way to do good. We see Luann, whether the scenes are ridiculous or not, Luann always is doing something charitable. Dorinda's doing charity. All these housewives are starting foundations and fundraisers and going even on and off the show doing things. And Ramona has never once used her platform to spread awareness or a message or do good in a way that doesn't necessarily directly benefit her or make her look good. And going to charity galas as a social thing doesn't count. And to me, I feel like we'd say... Ramona, like you aren't using your platform. She'd say, I go to charity events. I donate this much money. She said that even last night, I've been donating money. And she just thinks that that's okay. 
it's yeah, her, that's exactly it. Sometimes it's not about what you do. It's about how you make people feel. It's like a very basic concept that most people learn when they're in third grade. And for some reason, that's something that she didn't learn. And I, I almost feel sad for her because I said it last time. I know Ramona really struggles with just like her general like kindness, but I can't help it. I find her entertaining. I'm sorry. Who else is going to clap and say, I don't wear a mask in the ocean. Like that's forget about another, not another franchise. There's never going to be another Ramona singer. So I'm not quick to get her out. I honestly, I'm addicted to watching it. So please don't think that that's what I'm saying. I just think there's a real, like very low level of like kindness that she can't relate to. So yeah, you are so spot on. It's crazy to witness. And it's so split because one half of me is like, how can we let someone get away with this? And how can we let her act like this and not learn her lesson? And then the other side of me is like, well, maybe she's just a lost cause. We got to just take it with a grain of salt and take her as she is and just enjoy the entertainment. So it's just like, it's so hard. As a housewife viewer, you always are having this internal struggle of, do I love them? Do I hate them? Do I love to hate them? Are they entertaining to watch, but frustrating as a person? Would I be friends with them, but maybe they're not a good housewife? There's so many elements that go into it. And I think everyone's bar and assessment of what makes a quote good housewife is so different that that's why that's the fun. That's why we, everyone gets to argue and go back and forth on Twitter and Instagram and decide like what they think about these women and these groups and these franchises. Yeah. It's amazing. It's the best thing ever. I genuinely feel so deeply bad for anybody who's not a Bravo watcher who doesn't care because getting back into it was the best thing I ever did. And I'll never get those years of my life back that I lost. But you know what? Here we are now. I think this is like what people who do fantasy football probably feel like. Like we would never (laughs) understand that. But I just feel like when I hear people talking about that, I just, this is the only way I could relate to that. Yeah, like the high that my ex-boyfriend felt from doing his fantasy draft is the high that I feel from recording this podcast, analyzing Ramona's drinking and behavior. Yeah, yes. like comparing, contrasting all the women, the the franchises, the teams, whatever. It's yes. just funny. Yes. Um, then they kind of moved on to Leah's new season as a housewife package, which was obviously phenomenal. Showed all her good moments, bad moments that she owns. Andy opens up strong saying like Sarah Paulson rated her 25 and John Oliver said it was the funniest episode he's ever seen. And everyone kind of went around and was just praising Leah for how she's so easy to talk to and how she really listens and how she's really open. And Dorinda being like, you know, we don't really go downtown until Leah came around. I, I really liked it because the overall sentiment, no matter if they've all had their shit with Leah, was that they really liked her and they accepted her into the group and they had a good time with her this season. Yes. And even when one of those, you know, people calling in wrote about how asking why she age shames and even Ramona came to her defense saying that she doesn't age, age shame. But something that happened a lot in this segment, and I think something that happened throughout the reunion was like, Every single one of them, they were incapable of just giving a compliment to one person without it having a side motive of shading someone else. For example, Tinsley can't just say that Lee is a great listener without also adding in the point that like most of them aren't. Or Dorinda can't say the same thing without shading Ramona. And I didn't hate it. I loved it. I'm just saying it was really interesting how they almost use compliments to their advantage in terms of getting back at someone else. Right. Like every opportunity was used to compliment Leah. And I do think they really meant everything they said, but it was also a perfect opportunity to say, you know, we've never had someone who listens like Leah does, AKA none of you bitches listen. 
any time we all talk. So it was just funny. I don't know. I loved the whole Leah part. And she was just giving updates. Like she upgraded her apartment. She was telling the story about how she was on hallucinogenics and got her wing tattoo in her vagina and how she has stopped drinking after the show. I don't, she didn't really get into it, but I think it must've had something to do with a watching the show and B just quarantine and not going out. Oh yeah. She did say that, but I don't know. I just like, I just love her. I'm really happy she's there. And I think she, I think she had a really the best freshman season ever. Best freshman season ever. Loved her. Knew I loved her from the beginning. I, you know, I, and, and by the way, I like her even more because of the juxtaposition between her and the other women. So it's not like I want everyone to be like her. I like the mix. It makes me happy. It, it's fun. I can't help it. I, I like the mix. I so agree. Then they kind of got into literally a montage of them all drinking. And we got into this already, so we won't go through all of it. But one, another moment of Dorinda pivot was Andy's like, Dorinda, have you seen anything that you wanted to alter your behavior drinking wise? To me, that could not be a more clear-cut question, right? Like, there is literally no bullshit. Did you see anything about your drinking on this season you'd want to change? And Dorinda comes back and she's like, well, I think we all did. I'm not out like Ramona all the time drinking and partying, blah, blah, blah. I I mean, just like such a frustrating moment. And clearly to put an entire section about drinking is what we always talk about. Tequila is the the other housewife in this franchise. And it's like an important part of the narrative because like tequila should have been there. Tequila should have had their own seat in the circle. Oh my, that's what I was saying. If Casamigos literally had a chair, I wouldn't have flinched. I absolutely would not have flinched if there was a confessional. It is so necessary. And for Dorinda to just completely deny the impact that it has on her season, like good or bad was so, uh, I was so mad. I was so frustrated. It's like, all we want is for you to take accountability. People want to help you. And every not everything in the world is Ramona's fault a lot of things are but not every single thing I'm sorry right and we're not I'm not asking her to have a whole therapy session I get it you don't need to open up and really go all the way and explain all of your issues with drinking like that we're not asking that just give us a little just say I was not proud of how I behaved in certain moments like you we anything just a one little admission or understanding or, or just showing us that you understand or showing us that you saw what we saw would have made everyone feel so much better and would have made her look better. So then to not even in the slightest answer, it was just like we said, it's really frustrating. But when she said, remember, she said the one thing about how, you know, I will say that I think that I don't, I don't have the direct quote, but I don't like basically get my things out that much. And then it comes out when I'm drinking, meaning she has a lot of like pent up things. I was glad that she said that because you're right. She doesn't owe us or anyone publicly a therapy session. Totally. That's on her own time. But I was glad to even hear her say that, that at least she could acknowledge that the drinking and or what she's mad about isn't always what's actually going on. It's other stuff in her life that she's been suppressing. Like, I know we knew it, but I was happy to hear her say it. Me too. Overall, I felt like we got a lot from this reunion. And by the way, we have to remind ourselves, this is part one. Like, this is everything we got from the first part. We still have two more parts to go. And there's going to be so much and piecing it all together. And you have to remember, they sat down for all these in one day. So it's this, it's just going to be it's going to be amazing. I'm really excited for it to keep going. I'm so happy with how this is going. It's one of the best reunions ever already. The, the quotes we already have from one part, like I just can't, I can't get over it. 
I can't get over it. I really do think that this goes to show, we always say that the friendships in New York, they're just different. Like even which I'm sure we'll get into when we talk Beverly Hills, even when Kyle and Dorit, who I genuinely believe are good friends are talking, there's still this level of like gentleness that they have to convey. And some could just say that that's just being like a more kind person, but there's this real raw, blunt way that the women of New York are able to speak to each other. And I know it's hard to watch, but it makes for such a different kind of experience. It doesn't feel like they're walking on eggshells. They just say it. And I think it goes to how long they've known each other and how New York they are. I don't really know what it is, but there's something that you don't get that in OC and you don't get that in um, Beverly Hills. I'm starting to see it in Potomac more, but there's just something about that New York cast that I think their history together just really speaks. Yeah. I think that is what I love about Potomac is that these women at the end of the day really love each other. Like they'll, they'll be fighting and then, you know, Ashley be like, okay, Karen, like whatever. Like, I don't know. I just, I love when you can feel the underlying love and that the fighting is just temporary or could be temporary, except for when you have like a Dorinda Tinsley situation where it's absolutely over. And yeah. I don't know. I, I love, this is why, this is why Housewives does different cities because there is such a different vibe in each group and in the way that they operate and the way that their city is dictates how they act and how they operate. So it's just really fun to watch. And then to compare and contrast with other cities is like even more amazing. Amazing. So happy to be here. So lucky, so blessed, so grateful. I just, I love it all. Okay. Are you ready to move on to Beverly Hills? I am ready. However, can we just quickly start Beverly Hills with number one, Denise leaving, and two, I swear to God, just a one-minute fantasy session about the potential of Chris Jenner. I know it's not based in reality, but just for fun. Oh, yes, let's do it. Okay. So Variety announced, unsurprisingly, that Denise will be leaving the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. They said, in what perhaps is the most logical occurrence in the history of Bravo's Real Housewives franchise, a representative for Denise Richards has confirmed that she will not be returning to the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills next season. I mean, I saw this, and what with these announcements, it's more like I'm not expecting it to come out when it does, but then once I read it, I'm like, well, duh. She literally is hating this. She's on bad terms with most of the women. She does obviously does not like showing her life in the way that she was is expected to, versus what she, I think, thought it would be coming in. And this just made, this just makes sense. Oh my God, make total sense. Why do you want to keep yourself in a situation that you're so unhappy in? And I also think once the drama from the show starts to affect her real life, like if this stuff is true, that it's affecting her ability to kind of stand her ground with Charlie and the divorce and, you know, just some of the alimony, like this is not worth it. She has bigger fish to fry. And I really, as much as I hate to see her go, I commend the decision because honestly it was starting to become painful. I feel like for her and honestly for all of us to have to watch her suffer. And this season trickled into her parenting. It brought her girls into this. It brought her husband and her marriage into it. Like at that point, it goes from being a fun project that I think she looked at as like a new thing that she could dip her toe in and have a new experience and just be fun and like her new thing to a real burden and something that she just does not need to take on. And when it's a choice, of course, you're going to choose to opt out. Of course. I totally agree. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. For one second, let's just fantasize about Kris Jenner because as everyone listening, I'm sure knows, they announced the end of Keeping Up with the Kardashians and Bravo fans' immediate reaction was, okay, let's get Kris Jenner the diamond that she so desperately deserves. I mean, (laughs) look, do I think it's going to happen? 
Absolutely not. Do I wish it could happen more than anything? Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the, I personally, I think the chances of this are so slim, although that would bring an element to the show. I know a lot of people are against it because I think it would make it more overproduced and they want Bravo to be its own space. And I get that. But could you guys just for one second, imagine Chris Jenner, like that is a level of glam that is a crossover with celebrity. Like we thought it was cool that, you know, Kim is Paris Hilton's uh, or that Kyle is Paris Hilton's aunt. And we're seeing that this is a whole other tie in. She's actually friends with Lisa and Kyle. I don't know. It's not going to happen, but goddamn. It would never happen because you can't go from being the running your own show to giving up complete control. But I will say like, yes, the glam and the celebrity element would be amazing. But for me, just as such a Kardashian watcher and fan and lover of Kris Jenner, I feel like we've seen, we know the mom side of her. We know the momager side of her. We know the businesswoman boss bitch side of her, but we haven't ever been given the look into her friendships and her inner circle and how she operates as a friend as deeply as I would maybe want. Like we feel like we know her so well, but there is this side of how does she fight with women? How does she gossip? Who is she texting? How would she be at a reunion? Is she defensive? Is she protective? That I just, I don't know. It just like was fun to think about what if, but I really don't think it'll happen. But I think she maybe now will be a little more open to appearing on lunches with Kyle or at parties like we saw this past season, just having her in there because she is really part of Kyle's life. Like they're really our best friends that she maybe wasn't as open to before. Yeah, no, completely. <laughs> it's just fun to fantasize. I can't help it. I like doing it. <sighs> Isabel, let's get into this reunion. Goddamn, was this a ride? I mean, guys, Emma was voice learning me the whole time. She was so high and so low. One minute hysterically laughing, one minute hysterically crying. I I just don't even know. I just am so excited to hear your notes on this. <laughs> because the way I felt, I went, I'm sure we'll get into it, but I went from having these really intense emotions about when Teddy was talking about her daughter and I was hysterical over that part. I don't know what came over me. I think I must be getting my period. And then there were just certain moments when it would flash to Denise and you could see she just so badly did not want to be here. I think she had that moment of like, how did I end up here? How is this happening? And there were just moments where I was like, this is hilarious. We were watching these women on Zoom Pro just basically like verbally beat the shit out of each other. And then you have Denise, how like, how am I thrown into this? I don't know what was going on. It was so much fun. Oh, let's do it. Okay. They started with the Kyle versus Denise versus everyone aspect, which was early in the season. And I just like, I was like, oh my God, not just because I love Kyle. I just forgot how much I fucking hated this whole plot of Kyle's dumb fight with Dorit about the glam and Erica thinking that Kyle and Teddy's relationship was weird. Remember how frustrated we got when they were having all those conversations, basically yelling at Kyle to admit as if it was a crime, to admit that she's closer with Teddy and how close they are. And we were like, listen, you don't have to love Kyle or Teddy or be on a side. It's more about how you view friendships and kind of how you are in your life. And we were saying like, we share friends, beds with our friends all the time. We are that close, if not closer to a bunch of girlfriends in our lives, like that we treat like sisters. And this whole narrative of having to force Kyle to admit, and why won't you admit that you're closer with Teddy? Just got my blood boiling again. 
Well, it was the combination of that mixed with, quite honestly, and I like Kyle. In the beginning, we were having that emotion of like, oh my God, the person that we have seen as our narrator throughout a lot of seasons is now completely off the rails. Like Kyle really lost it for a couple of episodes there. She was really in the wrong and we were objectively could say that. And so I kind of feel like we moved past that a little and getting back to it, it reminded me, and listen, if you're going to be a Housewives viewer or commentator, like we said last time, even the most even those with the biggest fans, you can't have blind loyalty. So you have to point out like Kyle was acting fucking ridiculous for a little bit there. The way that she called out, like, yeah, they were, because I I completely agreed. The way that they attacked her about Teddy was so off. But what she said back to Erica was like so much worse. So neither of them were in the right and the whole thing was bizarre. And I felt like, I don't know, if I was Kyle, I just would have cringed watching that whole thing. Me too. Especially with the, like the Dorit glam fight I couldn't get into, but I will say the underlying theme for me in this whole section about Kyle was how I felt Dorit in a way looks up to Kyle and values her and like just loves her. Like she will do anything to have Kyle's friendship. She's tough on her. So it doesn't come across like she sucks up to her in a way, but she really values Kyle's friendship. And if you have been watching them on Instagram in real time, they're in Cabo together, like with PK and Mauricio and their kids. She's posting all these photos of Kyle with her kids and Portia. And they're like, you know, Dorit kissing Kyle at dinner. And I just couldn't help but think like, if Kyle was posting these photos with Teddy, Dorit would say they're so close. They're so clicky, blah, blah, blah. But because it's her, she loves it. And I think she just loves Kyle. She respects Kyle's we've talked about this, her business, her mothering, her, her place in Hollywood, her fashion sense, her personality. And even though she's tough on her, I really do feel like she will let her get away with murder. She'll call her out on it. And when she comes to her, but that was kind of my takeaway. I was like, wow, Dorit like loves Kyle. And she'll really, she, a lot of her, a little bit of jealousy was coming out during the conversation about Teddy. Totally agree. And I also think that a lot of the times, and this is not just in Beverly Hills, it's a trend throughout all of the franchises. We see this complete bullshit where one of them saying, I really, I care about the friendship. I just want to make it right. And it's like, you don't give a one singular fuck. You know what right. I mean? Like that was kind of like when, when Teddy's accusing uh, Denise at dinner, like how Teddy's so upset that Denise was talking shit about her. Teddy does not give one fuck. Teddy just wanted to out Denise about whatever was going on. So that you can really sense when it's genuine. And I, I agree with you. I think Dorit genuinely doesn't feel good inside when her and Kyle aren't on good terms. I'm not saying that Kyle feels okay about it, but I do think that Dorit is more affected. But the way they go about it is a little bit different, but it was definitely, I feel like Dorit actually felt bad when she saw how offended Kyle was about the work thing. I'm not saying who was right, but I do think that Dorit actually felt like the last thing I want to do is actually make her feel bad. Yeah, it felt so, it felt really super genuine. Yeah. In the exact polar opposite, when Teddy's saying, Oh, I feel hurt about Denise, is when Erica is like, Sure, let her call me the ice bitch. Like, whatever. I don't care about our friendship. But just being real about it instead of pretending to be like, Oh, Denise, our friendship, my feelings are so hurt. Like, no, you have to be real about it. You can't just always care about every single relationship you have if it's not true. Yeah. It's kind of like when Dandy asked Lee if she gave a shit that Luann said that her apartment was shit. She was (laughs) like, She's like, No, I don't take it personally. That's the energy that I like. Exactly. Then they moved on to this section about Rinna and Amelia, which was honestly one of the most, I think, interesting topics and one that I was waiting for them to bring up because there were so many unanswered questions and I felt like it needed the reunion to get into it. 
I mean, we spoke about this so much and just Garcelle's reaction to Amelia saying fuck off. She's like, okay. Like as if she didn't really care. And Teddy kind of giving her two cents because she's been through it, saying it was weird to bring it up in such a casual conversation at Rome, which we saw, remember? But we also then, I'm surprised they didn't bring up the deleted scene that we saw, which is that Garcelle was opening up with some of her son's addiction struggles. And I really thought that would have been such a perfect thing to bring up and say, well, this is what you didn't see. And this is why I went there, but they didn't. So I just thought that was interesting. And Rinna, Rinna is self-aware. Say what you want. She knows she's like, I love attention. I love to push the boundaries. Like she just, she knows how she comes across. And that's something that I think people are really have a hard time understanding. Five million things to say. First of all, Garcelle was so uncomfortable in that Amelia conversation. And you could see because she didn't even fight back. She just wanted it to be over, which by the way, I completely understand. If I was in her position, I would have felt the exact same way. Once the kids get involved, it gets uncomfortable. And I completely get why she was like, let's just move on from this. But second of all, what was kind of bizarre was when Teddy said the casual conversation thing. And then, like you said, Garcelle said back, it wasn't casual. Nothing ever happened after that. Garcelle didn't say we were also talking about X. And I'm wondering if that's because she really didn't want to re-bring up the issues that she was bringing up with her son. Maybe she felt it was too personal. So, But whatever the reason was for not bringing it up, if you didn't see that deleted scene, you're kind of confused. Like you, you, you feel like Garcelle's more in the wrong than she probably is. Not saying I didn't agree with her 1%, but... What she was saying about it not being out of the blue made more sense once you understand the context of the conversation. So I was surprised that she didn't kind of bring that up, but it made me think maybe she just doesn't even want this to be a topic of conversation out of respect for her son. I don't know. I'm just hypothesizing. Right. Like she, it was just too messy, like to get into it more and give it more airtime. I think she was kind of like, I'm going to rise above this and just let's move on. But that's what I like about Garcelle. I like that she doesn't need, in my mind, she doesn't feel this need to have this like strong last word. Yes, she inserted herself a little bit with the Doreen and Kyle feud, which was kind of bizarre, but the, I, I like that about Garcelle. She knows when to pick her battles and when it's worth it. And what you said about Rinna, Isabel, I will say that till the end. You, I'm not telling you to like her. Personally, I happen to really like her. You don't have to. But to not, what other housewife will come out there and say, I fucking love being the center of attention. It is what I thrive off of. How can you not respect someone that says that? And by the way, forget a housewife. Most people in their normal lives don't say that. Most people are insecure about feeling that need for attention. Whereas Rin is like owning it. And I, I don't know. I applaud her for that. Yeah, she owns everything about herself. And it's honestly, it's really... It's a great quality to have, I think. It is. Next portion was all about Teddy being pregnant. It was like a cutesy surface level little part. But the thing that this little segment made me realize was in the reunion, especially, I guess when they're on camera too, but really in the reunion, these women are so on, like they have their switch flipped. They are going deep and they're like thinking they're going one step ahead And there's these little tiny moments in between that they crack and that they kind of are just real with each other. And they're back. They go back to reality of like, they really like each other. Like these are just women who like each other and do respect each other. And the bullshit kind of like fades away for one little second. Like for one minute, they show a clip of Erica grabbing Teddy while they're on the, on the walk. Like she's so protective over her or Garcelle's like, Oh my God, Kyle, you doing those impressions of Dorit's Instagram were the best thing ever. Like, even though Garcelle and 
Kyle were just at each other's throats. They still have these little like human moments. And I think to me, spotting those in the reunion is something, it's just like, it's fun. Oh my God. It's so much fun. And I don't think we would have gotten it without Zoom. Like I really, I honestly, the MVP of this reunion is Zoom. And I can't believe I'm saying that because as someone who in my own personal life hates Zoom, I will take any opportunity to make it a phone call. Like I am that meme. But there was something about Zoom that just allowed for this. I don't know if it was ease. I don't know what it was, but there was something that made it so much more casual. Maybe they felt the comfort of being in their own homes. I just, I so get what you're saying. Then, of course, we end with Denise. I mean, I feel like Denise last episode, like we didn't get into anything about her really, like just some little digs, obviously, and anticipating what was coming. They start off, she basically comes out guns blazing like, I barely, you barely know Brandy. We, we saw a year's worth of texts. Like, how can you barely know her? And she said, every 10 texts from Brandy, I would respond. She would always contact me. It was a really acquaintance exchange. And they're like, okay, we literally looked through the phone. Like, at this point, the lying is just not going to ha- happen because we physically, with our own eyes, saw it. And then they were all, we saw previews of this, but they were all like, where's Brandy? Why isn't she here? We need her side of the story. And Andy, because, you know, he he can't be silent in this situation, jumped in and was like, we felt like we'd heard enough. And she's not really part of the show. She was only on the last, what, four or five episodes. And Denise said Brandy is basically harassing her. I mean, the, the decision to not have Brandy on was really controversial. People are so um, polarized by this. I think we got enough out of it because... Brandy had already said everything that she would have had to say at the reunion. It just would have been to Denise's face. I don't feel like we lost that much, but she was on Watch What Happens Live. We'll talk about that after. And she made some more comments and just kind of added more evidence to the file. But they all just were attacking Denise about how she handled this. And as Rinna said, how the cover-up was way worse than the crime. Oh my God, there was so much here. I Someone made a really good comparison and I forget exactly which season it was, but when Camille Grammer kind of came on and it to the reunion and it took over the whole narrative and people were saying, the people that were pro-Brandy not being there were saying, we're glad that happened because it didn't take over the entire episode. Which like, right. I understand that. I just think, I think that if you're a Denise fan or if you're someone who in this situation is feeling more of an affinity to Denise, you're probably glad that Brandy wasn't there because it would have been a lot harder for Denise to um, maintain her her story, I guess is what I mean. But if you're someone who is viewing it as like, Denise was full of shit, I think you maybe craved having Brandy there because you wanted Denise to have to like answer in the moment. And I don't, I didn't fall in either one of those. I thought that I was glad Brandy wasn't there, but I, I also think Denise is full of shit. Yeah. Um, but it was a very, the whole, like, listen, Andy is as straight of a shooter as they come. I don't, that's not it. It wasn't just because they heard enough from Brandy. Clearly Denise wasn't going to do it if Brandy was there. She basically said it. Yeah. And also anyone who wanted Brandy in the reunion, it wasn't about what she was going to say or bring to the table or new facts she was going to reveal. She said it all already. It was that we want to see Brandy and Denise face to face and what the interaction would be like what would Denise buckle under the pressure of Brandy? And just to see them like in the same room, I guess the same Zoom, but that was like, it's been so back and forth and we haven't seen them together. 
since Kyle's party where nothing really happened that I think everyone just wanted to see that for their own selfish reasons. It was not about having any kind of resolve. I just wanted the screen time, but I genuinely think, and again, I really didn't believe a word Denise said. I, I don't think it would have been fair to do with the other women there. Like that would have just been way too much for Denise's yeah. like mental health sake. That wouldn't have been okay. If in a, if in my dream world, if Andy would have brought them both on, that would have been amazing. But of course, Denise would have never agreed to it. And understandably so, who would? But like to have Brandy there with everyone else, that just wouldn't have been fair. And also that would have been a, a weird number of squares. that's the real issue (laughs) how much were you cringing that whole conversation when when Denise made that obviously crazy deflecting remark about she's well she said she's also slept with other people at this table and other women that we know trying to like honestly like Dorinda trying to be like if if I lump more people in it makes it better like oh you know she said that about other people too it's not just me I was so glad you drew the Denise Dorinda parallel because that's all I could think about after I watched New York tonight. I was just thinking back of like, there were so many similarities that were going on and I genuinely like both of them. But the, I I really want to, it was almost like the, irrational deflection like deflection to a certain extent makes sense but when you do it to the point where it is just so clearly irrational like you really think brandy glanville is gonna say that she slept with lisa renna come on even if she did say it then denise doubling down saying i won't say who it is i don't give a rat's ass who she is she was she i don't know if she thought she was being sly or she just had backed herself into a corner she was making herself literally look so guilty to first make that crazy remark whether it was true or not or she just pulled it out of her ass for the first time fine but then for them to point blank look at her and say okay if that's true who did she say it was she couldn't even lie again and say oh it was rena or oh it was kyle whether it was true or not so to be like, I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say, I don't care who it is. Like, was she, it was like, A, do you think that makes you seem believable? And B, shoving it off like that, getting it off, just to get it off your chest, you are digging yourself a grave. No, I, I, honestly, and I'm, this is like, I'm not making an accusation, but she, she had to have been on something, right? I mean, Honestly, I think so. And I also think she just wanted to get it over with as fast as she could. I don't blame her. Like, that's the thing. I literally don't blame her. If I was her, I would have wanted to just get this fucking thing over with. I would have been like, why did I ever sign up for this? Clearly, I was misguided. Clearly, this was the wrong thing for my life, for my relationship, for everything. And I get it. I didn't want to watch her squirm. That's not what I wanted to happen. But you were there. So if you're going to be there, be there. Like, the shift that I saw from last week to this week was that the people that are like so diehard Denise really can't stand Kyle. You know, I feel like you and I were much more in the middle than a lot of people, which is totally fine. People can have whatever opinions they want. I felt like even some of the most diehard Denise fans in our DMs were saying, I wanted to be able to defend her, but I just couldn't because some of the things were so clearly, were just so clearly off. And like, nobody gives a shit if she's lying or not about Brandy at this point, honestly. Like that is her own thing that it's, it's the way that she's going about it that makes us feel, it's almost like you're trying to insult our intelligence. Five seconds ago, Andy is playing the clip of you saying that you said worse shit to Brandy about Teddy than Brandy said you did. And then you're acting as if it never happened. So 
is there something actually going on? And again, this is not an accusation, a question where you're on something that you're forgetting or are you really just think the rest of us are that stupid or are you so checked out because you hate this, which if that's the case, I don't fucking blame you. Me too. I felt bad because the thing that she said, well, she said she slept with other women. I felt that in the moment because you know, when you're just, you're in such an uncomfortable situation that you literally will say any, the first thing that comes to your mind, I felt that that happened to her, but now to have to answer for it and bring it up again, when in, in the heat of the moment, it might've just been something she spit out to just move on and kind of get the heat off of her. It was like, I felt so bad because it was like, oh, she can't just say, oh, I just said that in the heat of the moment because then they would jump down her throat and be like, see, you're a liar. You're making it up. You're trying to cover it up, blah, blah, blah. When she may have just said that, like, she just wanted to, she just wanted to get out of there. Like, I felt like she just wanted to disappear, evaporate, crawl out of her skin and be done with it. What Denise needed in Rome was, and like, if she could have one superpower, it would have been, what was that movie click where he could like freeze time? She needed to just like take a pause. Like if she could just have taken literally 30 extra seconds to gather her thoughts, so much of this mess that occurred after the fact wouldn't have been the case. And I understand that's clearly not something that could have realistically happened, but I, I just wish she could have taken that internal breath because she dug herself so much deeper. And I, I, I genuinely just felt bad. Like I was frustrated by her, but I also felt bad. Denise just wanted to do anything to get out of the hot seat. You're right. She just needed one extra beat, but because all eyes were on her, she didn't have that time to kind of think, what is the smart move here? What is going to make me look not like a liar, but also not have to tell more lies in order to cover up a lie? It just like was such a mess. And I mean, I don't know. I don't even know where we go from here. I guess obviously she's not coming back, but yeah, it was hard to watch. Hard to watch, really hard to watch, felt bad, was glad that it was over with for her sake. Last thing, not part of the reunion, it was like reunion part B was Brandy on Watch What Happens Live. Basically, the takeaways are Brandy said, I never said that I slept with anyone else in the group. So kind of clarifying what we already knew that that was just a statement Denise made in the heat of the moment. Said the first time she met Denise that they made out, she showed her boobs to see, oh, I want to get a boob job. She said, I haven't seen her since. I haven't had a conversation since. If Aaron doesn't care, why are we making that big of a deal of it? I think a crime is less than the cover-up, and I agree with Rinna on that. Whatever. Kind of saying everything we already knew, just confirming everything she had already said. But then Andy asked her if she'd heard from any non-housewives people saying whose, quote, side they are. And a point we are making before to be on Team Denise or Team Brandy, you can be on Team Denise and still think she's lying. You just can be championing her and being like, "You're." we feel you deserve justice. But I've seen so much like people who love Denise, diehard Denise, think the other women are trash or think Brandy's a liar still necessarily don't believe her. So that's just an interesting thing that's happening. But anyway, so Andy was asking celebrities who have told you, whatever. She said Heather Locklear DM'd her some hearts saying basically she's on Team, team Brandy and that she's received cease and desist from, De- from Denise before in the past. And just mm-hmm. to like refresh everybody, Heather Locklear and Denise have a famous ex in common. They both dated Richie Sambora and Denise dated him after he and Heather Locklear divorced. I don't really know the details. I really have to dig deeper on like the timeline of all of these relationships and what went down. But I just thought that was so interesting and so brandy to 
spill like the spill her dms on tv which i feel like is such a sacred thing especially with a celebrity so that was just my interesting takeaway and i mean she's passing her phone around a baby shower there is absolutely nothing that's the only thing that brandy it's like the the thing that brandy discredits herself with is her so obvious thirst for fame, which I think is fun to watch, but sometimes it makes you take her a little bit less seriously because you're like, what wouldn't she say to be in front of the camera? So when you have moments of doubt, because it's coming from Brandy, it makes it a little bit easier. Although I do think she is telling the truth. Yeah. Brandy is one of the rare housewives who at 100% capacity has zero distinction between her life and what she puts on TV. Like there's no differentiation. Obviously her kids, I think more for legal reasons, but if it was up to her, I I'm sure she would show everything, let cameras in her house. And similar to Dorinda's problems with Tinsley about not really sharing her life. I think everyone has a certain scale of like how much they're willing to share. And everyone has a little bit of things, personal things, messages, things going on that they're obviously not going to show on camera. To me, Brandy does that. That category does not exist. She will, she is anything goes. She is 100%. She was even talking about this on Watch What Happens Live. Like everything in your life will be shared. You don't get to pick and choose what gets to be on the show or off the show. And she takes that to such an extreme more than any other housewife in any other city who all in some capacity have something they don't, show or talk about on camera but she is like the exception because she is 100% anything goes look through my phone I'll say what I mean I'll say what I want I'll go there yeah but a lot of that I mean if we're being honest like a lot of that comes I think a lot of that is financially motivated I think that if Brandy was 100% secure financially and didn't need the money from the show I don't know if she would still be like this because I don't know if she would still be feeling like she needs to bring attention to herself to constantly be featured. And she's been open about that before in terms of the fact that she's not at the place financially that she wants to be. Like she's in a very different place than a lot of these other women. So I think, and this is just my hypothesis, that in her eyes, she doesn't have the luxury of being private because I think to her, private means boring and she can't afford to be boring. Yeah, I think she was like this before, just in her normal life, before there were cameras involved, where she just was not afraid to say anything, had would talk about anyone to anything, anyone about anything. And she now with cameras involved, it just adds a whole other layer to her personality and what she's willing to share. So yeah, I do think it's financially motivated, but it's also just part of her personality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Combination. Okay. Last, but certainly not least my favorite city at the moment, just because I just love them. And they're just like the new loves of my life is Potomac. I have to tell you something. The amount of messages that I get from like my friends that are like, Isabel, I listen to the podcast, Isabel influenced me to start Potomac and thank God. If I get one person to watch and experience the joy that I feel, that my job is done. I have never in my life related to Giselle Bryant more than in this episode. I think Monique has a beautiful home. I think she is an absolutely gracious hostess, etc. That being said, I... When they were spraying that that bug bite spray off everywhere they went, when they you could tell she was hot, when you could tell she didn't want to fish, I felt so deeply in Giselle's soul of like, get me the fuck out of here. Some people are just one with nature naturally. Like Monique is gliding on that water like she belongs there. I was Giselle in that moment. 
Like I was so deeply Giselle. That is not what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say you felt the frustration not having service or Wi-Fi. Oh, well, obviously add that one on. The whole thing, I just like, it was like I could feel the humidity. That's what I could feel. I could feel the stickiness. And then this always happens to me with housewives. I don't know if anybody listening feels this way. It's like, if I was at a lake house like this, and this is any franchise, if I was on vacation like that, I could not be in a full face of makeup in the heat like that. And because they're on camera, they all always are. And it gives me so, like, I always have this like vicarious um, fear about my skin breaking out, even though I'm not the one there. No, I totally get that. But on the other hand, the women are at this huge, beautiful lake house, right? They are pretending that they are at a KOA campsite in the middle of the country, in the middle of nowhere. They're at this gorgeous house. They could just sit at the pool, go outside, go on a walk, relax. They are literally like pretending that they were dropped in the middle of the desert. Let's just get into this because I agree with you, but there's so many points to get to and so many comments. I feel like the editors, whoever edited this episode, took an edible, received the footage and said, what fun graphics and special effects can I add to this week's episode of Real Housewives of Potomac? <laughs> Literally, in one hour, in I have never in my life, I thought I was like tripping. In one hour, the amount of graphics, the amount of special effects, black and white, slow motion. They were having fun with this one. They added scorecards for the pancakes. They added time left in captivity countdown they added horror scene effects they added pageant credentials they added a 12-hour rewind they're adding text and screenshots of michael darby like they pulled out literally some editor just learned iMovie this week and wanted to show off their fanciest footwork and they did it they did that i am so glad you said that when they gave t'challa words on the screen. I was like, no, I, if you would have told me that I was on shrooms for this episode, I would have believed it. It was out of a movie. I loved it. Seriously. Whoever, if you're listening to this and you edit that show, 10 out of 10, keep doing what you're doing. Like, thank you. Just when I thought we were done, boom, another thing popped up on the screen and it made me laugh every single time. Every single time. These were just my notes. It was so random. They, this was the kind of episode Bravo will throw these, a couple of these in a season where the whole episode, not that much happens. It's just pure entertainment and funny. And we're getting to know them, their personalities, their relationships. And then the last 10 minutes are like the meat. And then we see what happens next week. This was just one of those classic episodes. And sometimes they're great like this one. And sometimes they're not so great. Luckily, this one was so entertaining from start to finish. First, I just want to say, Karen if you have watched the show from beginning, Karen loves to talk about how much work they put into getting to this group and whatever new girl comes in, she kind of is and wants to initiate them and prove that being in this quote group, this elite group is a rite of passage that you have to earn your way in. And she was kind of giving that to Wendy. And I just, it's really funny because I feel like she's given that talk over the years to either the youngest or the newest member entering the friend group and it's such a theme and it's so clear how she feels about it when even though the group is evolving she still feels like you got to earn your stripes right like if she was in a sorority she would be a fan of hazing is kind of the best way to put it yeah ashley and wendy had a really nice moment on the dock just she didn't have to justify why her third kid is different than her first but 
they didn't have the space when they were in the moment yelling at each other. And I think that when they could really listen to each other about how things are different and being everyone as a mom is different. It was like a really nice moment. I'm, I think they needed that. I was so happy they didn't leave that as, as it was. I uh, completely agree. It was unnecessary. The pancake competition. <laughs> like, this is just fucking hilarious. Like, they're literally having a pancake off, trying them out, having judging. Like, this is when I was like, you know what? These are like real women who are trying to just have fun at Monique's Lake House. Like, forget the bullshit. They're just, they're just cute. Like, they're just having fun. They are so, that's the thing about these women. They are so much fun. They are quite literally trapped there with no service and they just make the most fun games. Like, if I had to sum up Giselle in one single scene, this would be it. Karen calls, was talking about Wendy and kind of in a backhanded remark calls her a freelance correspondent as a news reporter, which I, I think is just not true. I think she's full time and she meant it in a way to be shady. And literally the next morning, Giselle wakes up, goes on a walk with Wendy and says exactly what Karen says. Like, when you look up that move, it's literally called the Giselle. Someone says something to you about one person, and the next day you go to that person and tell them. I love her so much. I think she is, like, honestly one of the top housewives of all time because her two best qualities are that she knows how to gossip and she knows how to complain. Giselle will complain anything. You will put her in a five-star suite at the Four Seasons in Hawaii with a butler, and she'll complain about something. Especially stuff that she, I would think, is probably a little jealous of. Her way of showing it is that she complains. And, like, both of those things combined, she's just a goddamn dream. I mean, like, she's like, you know, I understand you're upset, but I think your anger is a little misdirected. I think who you're meant to be upset with is Karen, but, like, I didn't tell you. Like, she is, it's, it's unbelievable, actually. You're right. I mean... It's just like, it's unbelievable to watch her, how, how clear cut her ways are. Like, you just know exactly. She hears someone say something. She says, oh, I have to tell you what Karen said about you yesterday. Like, there's no discretion. It's just straight up. It's as straight up as it gets. And it, it's the perfect housewife formula. If there was some sort of housewife school or Bravo school that you have to go to in terms of how to make a good drama, like Giselle would absolutely need to be a professor because she understands how to get the ball rolling, how to get the drama, how to be an instigator, but in a way that is almost comes across as so seamless and makes for such good television that I almost think that she needs to like teach a class in housewives. She's always the messenger and she just apologizes for relaying the message and then her hands are clean. She would be the fucking dean of that school. She wouldn't even be the professor. Like she would literally be in charge. It's so right, funny. It's like how, I, we say the Chris Jenner School of Communications. It's like the Giselle Bryan School of Housewives. Exactly. Of gossiping and relaying information. Yes. Okay. Last 10 minutes. This is what we were waiting for. So first, producer asks Ashley if Michael likes being placed as second in her life and he, she says he hates it. And she's talking with Michael. He's like, I had dinner with the guys last night, a few drinks, I'm out of commission today. They were in, from out of town. Cut to Candace getting a text while she's getting ready to go out. And it's like, my girl's a bartender at a strip club and I came to see her. He, w- he was in there with several strippers. He was talking about how he got a boyfriend and a wife with shrugging emojis and then sends a, p- a blurry like nightclub looking picture of Michael. 
And Candace is obviously shook. And in another fourth wall break, which we obviously live for, she's like, we're going to blur out the person's name, right? To the producers. And they're like, yeah, which is a valid question. You don't think about those things when you're watching as a viewer, but it's like, you would think about that. She wants to protect her friend who's telling her. Of course. Like the woman who texted me is a good friend of mine, blah, blah, blah. She's telling the whole thing. She literally, literally runs over to the guest house to tell Giselle because I think because Giselle and Ashley are really good friends and obviously because Giselle is just like used to receiving gossip and Candace wanted to confide in her. And then they kind of leave it off as a cliffhanger. They're at dinner and some uh, Monique asks like where Michael is. And he's like, Oh, she, he had a big dinner for a project. He closed. He's really ready for us to come home. They had a little boys note night because he had some guys in from out of town And then it looks like Candace brings it up at the dinner, but based on what she's been tweeting, I don't think she does. Her and Giselle are like looking at each other across the table, like their eyes are going crazy, but then we got a to be continued. So can I just say one quick thing? I mean, when when the producer asked Ashley, if she feels like Michael's upset that he now comes second or that he has to be shared with the son, There was this very, to me, and maybe I'm looking too much into it, there was this very eerie pause before she answered. And she kind of took a second and then she looked directly at the producer almost with like, fear is not the right word, but almost with like a very serious look and was like, he definitely does. And I got so uncomfortable by that. Like, I didn't need any of this stuff to be going on to tell you that there is something... it just makes me really sad for her. I, I really feel like this is a woman who's already stressed about motherhood. Of course, it's scary the first time. And her spouse is making this so much harder. And I just really feel like so upset about it. Me too. Well, I mean, I guess this is, <laughs> we forgot to say this news, but it feels appropriate now that Ashley is now, she announced yesterday, the day before that she's pregnant with her second baby. And she posted like really cute pictures and a video with Dean saying, there's no hiding this big belly anymore. We're elated to share our news with you. To say we are thankful is an absolute understatement. Just to refresh everyone, like we were saying, Dean, their son is one years old. And Michael actually has two grown kids from his previous marriage who are in like their late 20s. Um, To answer what you were saying about Ashley in that moment, I think it was a mix of a, maybe real fear and really deep emotion. B, her just her dramatic nature and the way she narrates things, I think, adds a lot of flair to it. And C, a little bit of editing, like a little bit of including the producer asking that and the way that they contrast it into this next dramatic scene. Like there's so many things that go into play with it that I just don't know. But I'm so I just cannot wait to see what happens. Listen, I I really like Ashley, and like I said, I think she's such a good, kind, nice girl. But the Michael Darby drama is – we've gotten it, like, every season for the last three seasons, and it, it's really – all the women get so deeply involved, and that's why it's interesting. And like we were saying, the added element of the husbands versus other cities where they don't have husbands is sometimes a whole other layer and adds a whole other world – to what we're watching and like Chris calling Monique and being like, I don't care about the bird. Like tell me the drama between, I forget who he said, like Wendy and Ashley, like him calling and asking her that is such a real thing. Like it's a real, that's a real 
husband-wife dynamic. I always think when that scene happened, I was thinking back to Chris in the NFL and just like wondering if he ever thought that he'd be calling his wife to wonder about Real Housewives drama. <laughs> yeah, and saying he doesn't care about the pet bird. He wants to hear, he'd rather hear about the drama. Like that was like record scratch. How did I end up here? When, when Monique brought T'Challa out while they were eating the pancakes, I would have just rioted. Like, I understand that you feel this this connection to this bird and I respect it. Obviously, it's your animal, but does it have to be at the meal? I would be terrible. I wouldn't be able to eat. I have a crippling fear of birds and the fact that she brings it out so casually, I start to freak out every time. No, it really bothers you. I don't know if it's a bird thing or just that you're not a pet person. Like, I don't feel it for the bird, but I would understand it about like my dog. Like I bring her everywhere. She could sit on my lap, whatever. I don't know. I, I think we should probably get deeper on that off the podcast. <laughs> I know Isla, I was attacked by a bird once. The thing with the bird, it's not like a dog. All of a sudden that motherfucker starts flying. You don't know where it's coming from. I can, you could get a wing in your face when you're mid pancake. That's not the kind of thing you want to have happen. I thought that there was going to be a pan, uh, a feather flying. He's a potty what? trained. He's a potty trained speaking bird. Like he's cute. I don't know. We'll talk. We'll cross that bridge another time. All good podcasts end with T'Challa. <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is there anything else you want to mention about anything? Oh my god, no! I think that's it. I mean, what a week! What a week, what a year, what a day to be alive. I love you. Thank you, every single one of you for listening, for letting us do this. We are so unbelievably lucky. And if you have any things, any questions, any anything, just send a DM to Comments by Bravo or you can just send an email to commentsbycelebspod at gmail.com. We love you guys. Thank you for letting us do this. And Julie and I will see you on Monday for our regular episode. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like, you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.